kept on me, sing this song. I want to hear you do a cover of that. That'd be really good. Gonna bet me money on the bobtail neck. Do you want to do that as like a charity oh, single? My way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a double hit. That's a good way to start the podcast. Correct. Yeah, I think we're in it now. Yeah, he's me there. There we go. Look at this. I'm in a fancy, it's not even a studio. It's my house. That's yeah, right. You know what I mean? I don't own the house. I mean, I'm renting he it with three other people. He bought it. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. This is, uh, it was his lifelong ambition. He is 105 and now he owns it. Exactly. He's coughing his fucking nuts. I know, man. I feel like I might be dying, but I'm not. It has gotten better, I promise. But I've been coughing all day, all night. But I don't feel ill. Yeah. This is what I don't get. Yeah, you should give it them smokes, Marv, I reckon. Nah, never. Anyway, we're back. Do you know how long it's been since we did the last podcast? Like three months? Three whole months. I'm not, I'm not getting paid enough to do it. That's true. Should we talk about what we've been doing for the past three months? Nah, let's just get into it. So this week... Day. Well, it's nice. Well, it's nice. That was so loud. <laughs> he may do it again. I may even tone down a little tiny bit. Because I feel that's the kind of characteristic of you is to do funny things like that. Anyways, so in the three months since we did the last pod, um, I moved house. I've moved here now. I'm in Bristol. I love it. It's great. Uh, I live with three-fourths of the uptones, and they're wonderful blokes, and they're currently on tour, which is why I have the house to myself. Uh-huh. And uh, that's why we're doing a podcast here. It's great. I've literally got all my music stuff set up, and it's lovely. I can't ask for anything more. Hey, hey? Hate, hate- I hate their guts. If they're listening right now, I hate them all, and I've eaten all your food. Uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD officially. December, yeah, which uh, ticks a lot of boxes. 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 Yeah, yeah. You really couldn't have uh, introduced that statement with a better fight. Oh, <laughs> and the fact I got dyslexia as well. So yeah, that, that was the yeah. yeah. And then you just done the same thing. Yeah. So I like that. It's rubbed off. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, it was nice to kind of have that certified thing of like yep that's exactly what it is so now i know how to work around it and the next step now is that i've just got to like go get a medical diagnosis and get the prescriptions and the tablets and the gonna be interesting but yeah it makes sense why i'm very one track minded with things and you know i'm all about pod one minute then i'm all about function then the next minute then i'm all about making my own music and next minute then skateboarding then random clips like can't pay take it away i i don't necessarily think that's just an adhd thing i, th- I don't think that's just a general thing sometimes where it's like ah, oh, can't you you know what i mean but the trouble is if you if you continue up with that sort of thing you're not gonna end up doing anything well the main thing is that um everyone struggles with certain things sometimes yes but it's more to do with like the involuntariness of it yeah like i can't choose to get out of waiting mode which is like i want to do something yes but my brain is just not letting me do it i seen a really good tiktok the other day it was like right i'm gonna turn this stove on boiling hot put your hand on it no exactly but you physically could be able to take your hand and put it on it right well yeah like we'll go do it then but i guarantee every fiber of your beings like I, I literally can't do it. That's the, how waiting mode is. So sometimes I have to wait till like the day of something to then get it done. And I get it done in 20 minutes and I get annoyed. Oh, yeah, I'm a bit like that. Yeah. I've said, maybe I've you've got this, it. Maybe. I've said this before on the podcast, actually. If I've um, if I got six months to do something, won't get done. 
Yeah. If I've got two hours to do something, it will get done mm-hmm. and it will be really good. Yep. It's weird, man. It's irritating. It's annoying. It is. And then this is why, again, I get annoyed with podcasts because I fucking, I love doing this. And, oops, sorry, mum. I love doing this. And it's sometimes just trying to organize my time to get it done. Then yeah. weeks go by and I'm like, shit, it's literally been three months. I was doing TikToks the other day. And then now I'm I've, I'm literally recording again. We're in Newcastle upon time on Saturday in two days' time. That is five hours away. That is our that is our day that job. Is, our day yeah. job takes us everywhere, and it's very consuming, isn't it? But people already know about that. We don't want to talk about exactly. We've what? also go on. We've also been on tour. I was going to say, what tour. what do we do with our you know function band? Where do we go, James? We went to a place called France. If you never heard of it, it's all right. I've it's never got, heard of got France. Got, got quite good cheese, but obviously we're vegan. So did you have any cheese out there? I had a bit. You had a bit of cheese. Uh, I have gone pescatarian for our viewers, and if you can't, if you haven't noticed, I'm I'm a little bit trimmer. Look at them cheekbones on the boy. You can, yeah. You can I'm see. proud of the lad. Look at him. I've been eating well. Um, vegetables, but I had some tender stem broccoli for my tea. It was very you nice. Did. Very nice with those Vivera kebabs, which Vivera. you love. Oh Vivera, if you're listening, endorse us now. Give me all the kebabs. Imagine that we have to eat it on I'm podcast. Fine. I I'd do that. that. I do that all the time. I would eat it for breakfast. Tea. Not an issue, man. And um, supper. And supper. Bloody supper. Um, but no, I've, I'm pescatarian. I don't really eat a lot of fish, but if I do have a meat, it will be fish. How are you finding this now? Like, I would say, like, not necessarily a health journey, but like, it has been a, a complete 180 because we yeah. were always saying to you, like, yeah. you know, maybe you need to think about getting healthy and all these things. And it just wasn't like ringing true, but like, you've literally done a 180 and it's like, right, I'm on it now. How do you feel about it? Oh, great. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I feel alive. You know what I mean? Like nice. I, I can, I can do stuff. You know, I had a, I had a funny little race with the co-guitarist of Elusis the other day. Premier metal band from Bristol. Uh, we were at my house and I went, right, let's go to Amsterdam, which is two minutes away in a car. And I said, right, okay, last, I, I did something silly. I went, I'll drive. And he went, but I want to drive because he'd driven to my house. And I went, let's both drive then. And he went, what? I went, yeah. The last, last one to ask does a smelly poo bump or something like nice. that. Nice. And I beat him there in the car, got out, and I ran for barely any time at all. But before it would have killed me. Yeah. Whereas I was still at the door like, hmm, I feel all right. It was, it, it was weird. Obviously, I've two stones been lost. I'm powering through. That is, that is something to celebrate. It is, mate. It is. That I mean, ain't that easy to lose. Been finding it super easy. I don't know why people are sort yourselves. I'm joking. I understand. Fatphobic. <laughs> I understand these cuts. No, I, I never will. I understand that you know everybody has different sort of issues with temptation and you know eating habits and stuff. But I I almost feel guilty because I found it super easy. Like I've not found it difficult at all. And in a couple of months, you can sign up to my Patreon, in which I'll show you how to eat better. How James does it. How Mez went from a big old chunker to, you know, quite slight. Mez's healthy munch. Mez's healthy munch. Mez's monthly munch. Mez's monthly munch and fitness. Mez Monday's munching. That's too many to count. Yeah, there's a lot. Anyways, we're back. We're loving it. And I want to introduce a new segment called 50 Firsts. So all I want to try and find out is, you know... I want to see if I can find the lineage of like the first 
time an artist has done this or done something and then if i can find the earliest one and i flip it over to the listeners and the viewers can you find something earlier than what i found so what i've done is i've kind of shoehorned mine so it's not like a very like wide thing i've kind of made it very tailored to the thing that i found yeah, yeah. okay so i went with well, who was the first artist to release two double albums of original material in one year good grief now, the reason why I came to that was because Red Hot Chili Peppers, my beloved Red Hot Chili Peppers, of course. Um, they released Unlimited Love and The Return of the Dream Canteen, which are both technically classed as double albums. Now, I've gone down all these forums. They're both double albums. They're both double albums. That's insane. So I was like, wow, is this the first time someone's ever done this? So I went on my little travels and I was going through forums and all these debates about how long a double album is because it's changed now because of CDs and vinyls and stuff. And no, they're not first person. The first person that I could find is Frank Zappa. Of course. Um, in 1979, he did an album called Shake Your Booty. Nice, nice. Which is literally meant to be a play on Shake Your Booty. I already listened to that. Yep, in March 1979, which is a double album. And then he did Joe's Garage Act 2 and 3 oh, yeah, in November, which is actually part of a three album trilogy. I don't know why Joe's Garage... Actually, Joe's Garage Part 1 must have been in 1979, but it's not a double album. I, I think I've either I've either listened to that or I've watched some form of documentary that mentions it. Quite possibly. Yeah. But that is the earliest I could find. It's 1979. It's Frank Zappa was the first person, in my mind, to release two double albums of original material, cool. That's cool. which means no covers, no nothing. No. All originals All in the same year. Yeah. So if you can find... And, you know, that's you and you... And you, everybody, if you can find an earlier example of that, I want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to see what you come up with. And that's what I'm going to do from now on. That's a good joke. This episode, the reason why, you know, we would hate an album, because they're past their prime. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Um, yes, sir. So knowing that an artist has passed their prime can only happen with the passing of time. Like yep. you, you can't tell straight away. Like you need, there needs to be some amount of time. It could be years. It could literally be weeks. It could be like one day, but like there needs to be some sort of bit of like time moving to uh, be able to deduct whether someone has passed their prime. Now, these notes I do have were dictated. I did a voice to text, so this could be fun. It could be troublesome, <laughs> but I'm going to try and go for it. There's also two sides to this. It's the listener's perception as to what's past their prime, and then the artist perception. Um, I think an artist can go into the recording process and maybe not feel as excited about like the material that they're making. Yeah, um, right. Or maybe they're not really excited about being a musician. You know what I mean? We've had times yes. where you don't want to pick up your guitar. Uh, all the time. Mate. You know what I mean? But imagine being, imagine being like, right, do a song now. Write a song now. Write a riff now. I mean, to be fair, some of the, some of the greatest songs of all time have come from that, where it's like, Write a song in 10 minutes, you have 10 minutes. Write a song True, but I guarantee a lot of dead songs. A lot, a lot of... No, I'm not playing that. A lot of dead songs, <laughs> I guarantee it. Yeah, probably. Um, probably. Maybe the material they're writing is not exciting enough. Maybe it copies their work, you know, previous work too closely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and much like I kind of commented on the previous episode, if you remember that, all those months ago. Oh, um, God, if you don't release material within certain time frames, you become irrelevant. Yes. And then the future artists will take, you know, inspiration from that. Um, so it may only take one artist or one movement or one genre to kind of make you past your prime. It's yeah. not even up to do with you. Yeah. No, not yeah. necessarily. 
Um, and also like the artist could go through a major life change. So Noel Gallagher from Oasis. Remember that band Oasis? Still cool now, aren't they? No, I don't don't remember them. No. no, 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 no. They're really cool, really cool. So he, <clears throat> there's a definitely maybe documentary like 10 years after it got released and he was like, look, I can't write about being on the doll and doing drugs and being poor anymore because I'm a millionaire rock star. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't lie to people and just keep writing crap like that. So um, he started writing a bit more, what did I put in my notes? Kind of a bit more, um, like for the listener to kind of take away and ponder, like more existential questions about life um, and writing about love and like less, um, like diary entries, less of them. Like more like yeah. less about him, more about like the world consciousness, mm -hmm. which some people would say is like that's the bit era preachy. of Oasis they don't like. Bit preachy, but like mm -hmm. they don't really like that anymore. Yeah. It's not about yeah. that. Drugs, man. It, there is that dissonance, isn't there? Of like, <clears throat> yeah, you can't you can't really sing about being on the doll, mm -hmm. having no money, but also the other side of it where it's like, oh, okay, I'll write about the state of the world. It's like. Yeah. I don't know how many people are going to listen to a multi-millionaire, extremely successful musician and go, oh, yeah, his opinion on the world, yeah, that really resonates with me. It's like, it's a bit bit different, isn't it? Yeah. Me sat in a, say, say I'm like, I don't know, someone who doesn't have a whole lot of money, I'm in a council house. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on benefits, perhaps. You've been evicted from camp pay, take yeah. it away. I have absolutely no judgment from people like that whatsoever. But what I'm the point I'm making is he's got millions. He literally has a Rolls Royce that yep. he cannot drive no. because he never learned how to drive to this day. Doesn't need to. And ridiculous houses, I imagine, like champagne in the fridge. His life and worldview. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot different to quite a fair few. He's not going to be able to connect with the people that, you know, uh, kind of with a living embodiment of cigarettes and alcohol and those early albums. Yeah. So it's connecting with somebody else. So, yeah, there is going to be a disconnect. Like, you're going to make loads and loads of money. You're a rock star. Like, literally, you're going to live the rock star life. Like, yeah, it just is what it is, isn't it? Exactly. Um, I also think a listener can get overexcited and put so much expectation on what the album's going to be oh, like. Yeah. Um, like how it's going to affect their lives. And then it's just never, ever going to be like that. So you're going to view that work, that album as the tipping point of like, that's past their prime because that album didn't give me the same feeling that it did when I was, you know, 15 years old and it completely changed my worldview on music. And oh my God, like I remember he was you know, they were speaking about the same things that I was going through. It's like, yeah, we've all probably done that with albums and we all have our own tipping points, I think yeah. with certain bands. Um, and as always, it's always subjective. So, um, yeah. what do you think of the Ellis is a little question for Mez here. So I was trying to think, okay, what are the actual like elements? What are the quadrants? What's the criteria, um, that constitutes an artist being past their prime? Do you want me to read the ones I have? Yeah, of course. So I think you have to look at it commercially. Yeah. You have to look at it from a critical standpoint, as in like a critical performance. Mm -hmm. um, the songs that are played on the subsequent tours, because we all know the bands that like release the album that like doesn't really do well, and then you might get like the one song. Yeah. And then it doesn't yeah, get played ever yeah. again. Like the single or something. Yeah. yeah. How the album afterwards performs. <clears throat> and yeah. one that I thought was interesting was um, 
any of the songs which get mentioned in casual conversation. So, for instance, if I was to say to you, what's a band we both like? Pantera. Name me five Pantera songs off the bat. Off the bat. Mouth for War. Um, Strength Beyond Strength. Cowboys from Hell. Cemetery Gates. And I'm going to go for a curveball. Yesterday don't mean shit. <laughs> Little cheeky curveball. So there are going to be the obvious ones that people say. Yes. Like if I was saying like casual conversation, if you even bring it up to like just in a random pub talk, mm. you would probably get the walks and the cowboys from hell and stuff yeah. because we're mega fans. You, you did go for reinventing the steel. So my, yeah. I think my, my way that, you know, what I was trying to do was people don't really mention reinventing the steel, do they? I suppose that's something else to consider because there are, there are songs I love just generally not necessarily to do with Pantera, that everybody else's opinion on it is, yeah, I hate that. And it's like, yep. why do I like that? This is what mm -hmm. you said. Obviously, it's subjective and it changes and stuff. With my choice, I'm going to ask you that question later on. And I guarantee that you probably will pick one of the songs off of that album, but it'll be an obvious reason why. Yeah, um, do you want to go first, Mez? Or yeah, do you think, yeah? I'll go first. Yeah, you're going to check yourself in the deep end? Yeah. What album have you picked for... Uh, a selection of the or not selection was it for an example of an artist being past their prime i have picked world on fire by ingve malmstein oh good lordy i mean who is ingve malmstein james you know <laughs> a lot of people might be asking ingve malmstein is a neoclassical guitarist from sweden he not is good. not hugely well known he has four hundred thousand monthly listeners on spotify now as much as if I had 400,000 monthly listeners, I'd be made up. Yeah. For someone who's been going since the early 80s, that's not a whole lot, really. No. But he caters to one genre, and that's it. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no like. He's ever, never, he's yeah. never like really changed up his style no, or tried any experimenting. No. It is just neoclassical yes. shred guitar. Yes. And he's very, very technically able. But in recent years, and even his fans, in fact, I'm going to be referencing a few things. I love this. Even even his fans have openly admitted that he is not the absolute blaze king that he was. In the blaze king. Well, he, he I'd love to have that nickname. Blazing. There he is. That's James Merritt. He's, he's blaze king. Why am I doing Northern again? Because uh, you, it's because we're from the south. That's why. Yeah. We don't mean any disrespect, no. people at the north, but I think it's more the homage to Marcus Rudd. Marcus Rudd. Uh, I hope you're listening to this. Um. So yes, we. So I, I've, I've quoted. I say quoted. I've taken a few things from the YouTuber Six String TV. He is from nice. Germany. He is actually a very good musician himself. I really enjoy watching his videos. He's really entertaining, along with KDH, Keelan Hughes. We love KDH, don't we? He's fantastic. Um is um what what does he call it is audio audio audits audio audits and his exposed are, ones are great yeah yeah fantastic I, if you're a music fan i highly recommend we it. shall put a link to his channel yeah, yeah, yeah. in it's the really description cool. um it'd be great to get him on at some point that'd be lovely be but, great um, wouldn't it yes yeah, so six string tv kdh i've i've watched their videos on the particular matter the reason why they were making a video on it is because they six string is a huge um Ingve Malmsteen fan. He's okay. an enormous Ingve fan. And he made a video basically he called it the fall of a king because 
as I haven't got round to explaining yet, Ingve, though technically gifted he is in recent years, he has been in a steady decline okay. in terms of songwriting, playing live, just not great. But he is he uh, putting on the air and grace that he's still the best. Yes. And he's what? What was the what was the nickname again? Uh, the Blaze King. He's still the Blaze King. However, I mean, people have described have described in that Ingve or any of your management team. I'm well aware that if anyone listens to this and wants to think about blocking us. I am quoting, I'm not insulting, I'm not inciting that people shouldn't listen to him. I highly recommend it. Early Ingve is fantastic. Very good. It's got its time and place, you it know has, what I mean? It absolutely has. But don't try and take me to court because I'll call you a silly goose. I'll listen twice as hard. Yeah. So um, we'll start with lyrics, I think. Go on then. We'll start talking about his lyrics. Now, the quality has been on a steady decline since the 90s. Wow, that's quite a long time. That's uh, like 30 years. That is 30 years. The themes are usually epic, fantasy, fast cars. He, he loves, loves his cars, Ferrari. doesn't he? He loves a Ferrari. Love and heartbreak, wars and fighting. It's one of them. Okay. It's one of them. And it's steadily and consistently them. In fact, I have a little game. I do love a game. Um, I have some lyrics from Ingve Malmsteen songs. And I have some lines and quotes from fantasy movies. Now, what we're going to do yeah. is I am going to read one and say, Marv, what do you think it is? Is it a line from an Ingve Malmsteen song or is it a line from a fantasy movie? This is going to be tough because I don't watch movies. No, you don't. But that shouldn't factor into this. So the first one goes like this. Certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? Is it a fantasy movie or is it an English? Oh, the thing is, it rhymes, doesn't it? That's the problem. I'm going to go Ingve. You're incorrect. <sighs> it is a line that Gimli says in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Who's the Lord of the Ring? They can't hey, answer it. So he's watched all the films. Yeah, you need to. All right, that, that was for Jake. Um, next one. In the time when darkness ruled, no one saw the light. In the cold black emptiness, victims of the night. Oh, that's such a good opening to a movie. Yeah, you know what I mean? Good. I can already hear like that. Yeah, that's In a... the time when darkness ruled and no one saw the light. In the cold black emptiness, victims of the night. Thing is, it's too good to not be an Ingve lyric. I'm going to go Ingve. You're correct. Yes. The song's called Dark Ages. Yes. And it's from the album World on Fire, which is the one I listened to. I also listened to his first album being Trilogy. To kind of get the comparison. Yeah, to get like a, it's mind-blowing. Wow. It is excellent. But yeah, uh, so we have the next one. I know what I do will always be true. My world is real and I do what I feel because I'm stronger than steel. I'm stronger than steel. Now, I think I remember that from listening to World on Fire. Okay. So I'm going to say Ingve. You're correct. Yes. From the song called Lost in the Machine. And that is from World on Fire, isn't it? Yep. Yes. So we have two more. If he's ready to lay a dragon in its grave, he's nothing to fear from me. Oh. Uh, movie. Yeah, Dragon Slayer in 1981. Nice, nice. And the last one. Go on, make it epic. Fight to the end, conquer the enemy. As far as the eye can see, I see my victory. Oh, the problem is, is he's all be fucking banging Ingve lyrics. Um, law of average, I'm gonna have to go Ingve. Correct. Yes. From the Let's song go. Soldier. So yes, 
it's uh it's it's very much a thing like that um whereas either fantasy i mean primarily those were fantasy or fighting or you know yeah. love and love and heartbreak and oh fast they're all like he loves, um he loves it. they're all like what the uh hero of the fantasy film will be saying it's like when he was a child his mum read him like a fantasy book yeah and he literally went there's me i i am the hero of the time i am the hero and he drew a sword i reckon he's one of those blokes that's got like like um either real military history like swords and shields yeah or he's got like replicas on his wall i reckon he's got blaze king embedded <laughs> in a sword yeah um, above his studio on the the other thing i was going to say was he definitely has a painting of himself renaissance style like slicing yeah. like a myth- mythological beast yeah, or something like a les paul or something yeah literally he definitely i'm i'm so sure of this he has I'm to so sure ingve show us so world on fire is the 20th studio album 20th studio album fair enough by swedish virtuoso guitar player ingve malmsteen and the eighth under this moniker okay so he has a he has an array of different names we have Ingve Malmsteen, Ingve J Malmsteen, Ingve Malmsteen's Rising Force, or if you're feeling really on the ball, Ingve J Malmsteen's Rising Force. They're, they're just too similar. Why? Yeah. Why? I don't know. What I love is when you when you've got the Ingve J Malmsteen because you you'll get mixed up with all the other Ingve Malmsteen. Of course. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so common throughout his his discography, these four names continuously crop up. And they all, so like that was all meant kind of like in a way to denote like they're different types of music. That's how I would take it. If you have a different moniker, yeah, it's kind of for different types of musical things. But as we've already established, it ain't different. He just does neoclassical shred guitar. Yes. Now, Six String TV made the point of he was like, maybe it's just how he was sort of feeling on the day. If yeah. he's feeling sort of chilled out, he'll just go in Bay Mom's Steve. If he's feeling a little bit feisty, but not like full barrel little fire he's yeah. ingve j momstein yeah if he's been forced to take his little brother he's ingve momstein's rising force and if he's feeling really confident and he's got his little brother with him it's ingve j momstein's they're all getting along force. Yeah, yeah, yeah initially it was programmed for april 2016 mm-hmm. but then it was released 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 <laughs> it, it was released, released literally released on june the 1st via rising force records and Nexus. Who do you reckon owns Rising Force? I don't know who owns Rising Force. Is it Ingwe James Malmsteen III? It could be. Could well be. Could well be. So, uh, second album in which he sang, and it was the only one to feature drummer Mark Ellis. Don't know why. Because Ingwe does all the other stuff, right? Yeah. This is what I I, I read up. I was like, he does that the bass, sense. he does yeah, the keyboards. There's even like a, like a lot of these songs have choir in them, whether yes. it's like a choir sound on a keyboard or it's actually a choir. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine. So it's 44 minutes, 23 seconds long. It was uh, recorded in Miami. Nice. And um, yeah, personnel. VJ Malmsteen, guitar, vocal, bass, guitar, keyboards, cello, cello. Not to be confused with Ingve Malmsteen. No. Sitar. Yeah. He also produced it, he arranged it, and he did all the orchestration. I'm not surprised. It sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it so, really does. Ingve has an enormous ego, as we've already touched upon. 
he one of his one of his biggest influences is a man called Richie Blackmore. Now, if you haven't heard of Richie Blackmore, folks, he is the guitarist of Deep Purple, was, and he is also extremely egotistical. They met once. Yeah. Richie Blackmore just looked at him and went, people say we sound similar. We sound nothing alike. You'll never be half the guitarist I am. Wow. Imagine your hero saying that to you. I mean, is he wrong, though? No, but that's off record. I was only joking in base management. Please don't sue me. Um, no, he's not. He tours alone. Doing they? Yeah. So he does everything to track? No. He hires what seems to be local wedding musicians. Genuinely. Ingve, if you're listening, mate, I will play. Yeah, same, um, same I do know the harmonic minor scale. Same. I can I can do it for you. I can I think I can muster up a diminished sweep arpeggio pattern at some point. Oh no, I won't need to. He's got that covered. Um and he stuffs them in the corner of the stage. Good lord. So he can have the rest of the space. Um so there was also this trend where his social media manager kept posting this photo of him in the studio holding one of his signature strats. Yeah. And over the top, it says, it's not arrogance, it's confidence. <laughs> I mean, true. Kind of true. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> um, and also, there is a story of Ingve playing live and the drummer counted in. Mm-hmm. And Ingve lost it with him yeah. because he counted in and went, I am the metronome, not you. And he threatened to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so how do you how do you count a song in an Ingve J. Malmsteen's Rise and Force concert? Does he go one, two, three, four? I guess so. I don't know. But he threatened to kill him. And over the years he has become sloppy. And some songs on this album really show that. There are points where his time is everywhere. There are similar licks in nearly every single song. So when he gets to the solo, I'm like, how does he know to put the solo here? Because most of the songs already been yeah. solo. I think I put it in my notes. Every single guitar part in any, what you can deem as a structure of the song, is just shredding. It's yeah. just solo, solo, that's, solo. That's all it is. There's, there's no like guitar figure. No. Apart from some of the acoustic songs. Which I, I actually quite like. The acoustic I don't mind them. I think they're pretty nice. They're a welcome break from constant. And it really is 45 minutes of that, mm-hmm. which I've never really heard a single album like all the way through of uh, Ingve <laughs> or Ingve J. Malmsteen or whatever Rising or Force. I'm going to assume that it is basically that. Every single album is that. It's just decreased in quality. So, somewhat, yes. The first album I listened to, Trilogy, mm-hmm. which is the one. Oh my god, it's so good. We'll have to put a link of a photo to it, but it's it's a painting of him holding a Stratocaster fighting a three-headed dragon. It's amazing. <laughs> it's literally the man is a meme. The man is a meme. Meme before memes. Yeah. Yeah. He kills me. Um he was discovered by Shrapnel Records. Yeah. Uh through a demo tape. He briefly played with a band called Steeler. Yeah. To make an album called, you guessed it, Steeler, uh, which no one knows about, but is actually really good because it's early Ingve. So it's going to be good. Yeah. It's, uh, he, he just kills me. He absolutely ruins me because the man, the man is just, 
unbelievable like the way he puts himself forward the the leather and the open shirts down to the chest it's like so dated isn't it oh, but it he's really stuck is. consistently to that so you got to kind of commend him like yeah. you know the classic thing of acdc never changing their sound fair enough like, yeah but he is literally this like he's just being the same person yeah for 40 years i mean when he was 10 he created his first band called track on earth yeah himself and a friend playing drums at age 12 he took his mother's maiden name malmsteen nice as a surname his first moniker oh sorry no it was malmsten ah so that's it. even another one he changed it to malmsteen okay. oh he's he's known as a number of things um he was born lars johan ingvi lannerback and he is known as lars johan ingvi or lars y loudamp or Ingve J. Malmsteen. Yeah, it's, it, this this is a man of many names. Who is this guy? A, a man of many, many, <laughs> many personalities. Um, Making me as cough, a man. teenager, he was heavily influenced by classical music, particularly 19th century Italian virtuoso violinist and composer Paganini. Again, I can hear that. And okay, and it's cool that he has that. Um, that influence. influence yes but then again what then becomes the meme is is that especially in like all of the grunge bands that came up in the 90s when they were trying to form bands in like the 80s when the hardcore scene come up and like yeah um the early grunge scene um that it was like oh you don't have to be a singer with like a four or five octave range you don't have to be a guitarist where their inspiration is like a classical pianist no. and someone who's not a guitar player but like that's where the meme comes from. Yes. Like he literally is, like he did that concert. I think he called it his masterpiece, right? In 2000. With the, with the orchestra. With the orchestra. That's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Because yeah. it has a context. It has a purpose. Exactly. And it works. Exactly. But this is, this is the point. This is where I'd look to, if I became as good as Ingve at neoclassical, I'm talking early eighties Ingve. Of course. At neoclassical shredding. That's where I'd place myself. Yeah. In an orchestra. But he hasn't done that. And I don't think he could do that because his, his ego is too big. Yeah. Um, during this time, he also discovered his most important guitar influence, Richie Blackmore. Who plays? Guitar. And specifically what guitar? A Fender Stratocaster. And what does Ingve J. Malmsteen's Rising Force play? Ingve plays a Fender Stratocaster. He does, but he has a little scallopy, fretty thing. fretboards. Now, ladies and gentlemen, and other individuals. What is a scallop fretboard, James? A scallop fretboard is where instead of most fretboards would be sort of flat and you can press the string down, there's like a ridge, like a U shape in it. Like so someone took like a little like wood carver and yeah. just like knocked it out a little yeah, bit, yeah. like a fingernail. Which, which is fine, but I've played scallop fretboards. They aren't for me. No. He claims you can really grab the knob by the balls, but I'm not really that. Sometimes I just want to grab the note. Do you want to know what his demo tape was called, by the way? Go on. Powerhouse. I love Very this good. guy. Very good. I love this guy so much. Even even if he even if he was nice, I'd still be I'd I'd probably like yeah. dislike him. Yeah, yeah. As soon as he's not, that just that contributes to me and appeals to my sense of humor. I'd love to more. meet him. Oh, I bet he's great. Yeah. Maybe amazing. I bet he's great. I bet he'd just look through you. I bet he'd be a real dick about it and i'd love it it'd be yeah. so funny because like i said the man is a walking meme um yeah it's just hilarious 
It is just hilarious. Um, this is quite funny. Go on. So he was in Alcatraz, Graham Bonnet. I'm who, aware of Alcatraz, yeah. Uh, Graham Bonnet was in um, Rainbow for a short time. He was, was he the Since You've Been Gone singer? Yes, that's Graham he Bonnet. He is the guy who sings Since You've Been Gone. Um, so he was in Alcatraz playing on their first album, No Parole from Rock and Roll. And he's also great, isn't it? And he's also on uh, the live album, Live Sentence. Yeah. Him... Why is it all about jail? Oh, who knows? Graham Bonnet, the singer, and Ingve Malmsteen clashed about who was the front man who had a fight during the show. Malmsteen was fired on the spot. You're a guitar player, mate. And replaced by Steve Vai. What an upgrade. Vai had one day to learn the songs. And I bet he smashed it. Oh, of course he did. It's Steve Vai. Good lord. But yeah, uh, in 1984... Malmsteen released uh, one of his first albums, Rising Force. Barry Barlow of Jethro Tull was on drums. Okay. And keyboard player Jens Johansson. Would you say that that is his best album? Rising Force. It's definitely up there. I really like Trilogy because it's just got some great stuff. And there's a painting of him fighting a three-headed dragon beast nice. on the cover. It's fantastic. Nice. But it's, it, it is just... It started well, and then it kind of declined. We've got Eclipse, Fire and Ice... Seventh Sign, Magnum Opus, which features Vengeance. Nice. I love Vengeance. Magnum Opus is not his Magnum Opus. I will argue that. To the, the, the meme and irony of that. I will die on that hill yeah. quite happily. Um, yeah, he's... So what you're saying there is, is that his Magnum Opus is him past his prime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah because your example is showing an album like who someone is really past their prime. You're not showing the tipping point. No. But if you were to say where the tipping point was now, looking back, where do you think the tipping point is? I mean, obviously, like you've not listened to every single Malmsteen album, but like maybe based off what you know, where do you think was the tipping point where I was like, right, here was his peak? I think it was probably Odyssey's good. Mm -hmm. What year is that? Uh, eight, nine, uh, 88. 88. So really, just as 80s. I believe Eclipse is also good. That's 90. Yeah. Fire and Ice is when it starts. Seventh Sign is a bit of a nosed hive. Magnum <laughs> Obus, I only really know Vengeance off that. So really, like a decade? Um, yeah, but also you've got the Concerto Suite for Electric Guitar and Orchestra. Yeah. Which is good. Um, Yeah, it's kind of weird. Attack's really good as well. If you can, if you can find, in fact, I'll find it on air now. The uh, oh, the cover for Attack is funny. Okay. Um, it's just been on a steady decline for some time, and but he doesn't think that. Nope. But everyone can hear it. Yeah. There, there's even clips of him playing some of his classic songs like Far Beyond the Sun. Yeah. And it's just not good. It's just not good, like at all. Um, which is a shame because he he used to be utterly fantastic well what do you think is the solution then i don't know but it certainly ain't this i could tell you that it'd be bad isn't it that's really really bad yeah do you want to somehow i'll see if i can show the folks. somehow show the folks i mean if not i can just put up a little thing but go on that's really... isn't that though really bad no really bad I'll get back on the microphone. Well, there get back. Go. You got a nice slanted pose there. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's just been consistently getting worse and worse. And I'm interested to know where it ends. 
Does it end with him either? Because he got uh, he had a car crash, didn't he? And he was in a coma for like a week. Yes. Um, and then he had to like learn to reuse his hand or like so some variation of that. Yeah, he broke his arm and he had mm. to um, pick slightly differently with like his thumb and his finger rather than his whole wrist. Do you think that contributed to anything or that make no, him better? Because, because it, it made him better. It made him be able to play as quick as he can. Okay. Um, but the unfortunate thing tends to come from the fact that the, the, the songs are uninspired. The lyrics aren't very good it's the same sounding stuff over and over again and i used to be a large iron maiden fan i know what the same thing sounds like over and over again even when you're a fan <laughs> um so you you gotta hit a point where you go I've, I've had enough of this like i can't listen to this anymore i'd really like to go and see him live because i'd be interested to see number one what he plays like yeah. how much of it is early stuff how much of it is here's my new album like we were saying earlier about the whole you'll hear a single yeah and that'll be sort of it if it's not received well i'd also be very interested to see what he what he actually is like life i'd want to see what this band like yeah. if let's say yeah, we yeah, watch yeah. him in bristol I'll be like i know that guy i know that who's, woman who's this? this is really weird yeah hang on why am i getting up on stage i'd do that so I, literally I all that i part all part i would need is the choir part. setting I've even got a a off white Stratocaster with a big seventies headset. Yeah, but he never let you play that. Yeah, but can you imagine? Oh, yeah, true. I'd have to I'd have to be out back, plugged into a little rolling. I play the Stratocaster, not you. <laughs> I don't know why he's Arnie, but that's I'll, I'll, I'll bring the Telecaster instead. Yeah. It'd be fine with that. Yeah, it's weird, man. The amount of oh, he's just I don't know. He's just a different breed entirely. I mean, as we all know, classically guitarists are known for their egos and they're known for being difficult to work with and stuff yep. but he is just it's it's like it it's like it's an act it's like he's gone how can i get as much attention as humanly possible but his guitar playing is that his yeah. guitar playing is so brash and in your face it is. and i think again but like we'll get a little bit of musical theory like the he uses a very classical uh music um, scale the harmonic minor it's very yeah, synonymous very with so. classical music and diminished runs and stuff like that it grabs your attention it does. those notes in that order and those combinations it grabs you by the buzz it literally grabs you by whatever you've got down there or especially on world on fire album it's 16th notes or it's 32nd notes <laughs> there's no chill it is just full on and I even thought the drums were fake just because of the way they were processed. But it goes into that thing like we sometimes chat about with instrumental shred guitar albums is yes. that it really doesn't matter what the other instruments are doing. It's no. all about the guitar. It's always double kick. That's all, that's all it ever is. And you're absolutely right. It's purpose is to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you, something else I noticed, you rarely hear rhythm guitar under it it's usually just bass and keyboard. there was like a couple of times where he played rhythm guitar yeah, but couple, but but not but not while the solos are playing or the other guitar part yeah yeah it's a weird thing and i mean he's clearly very very good he's a gifted musician but he's still good of course he is you can't say but that. it's just the same over and over again and i noticed he's got a bit of a uh, how do i put this he's it that there is somewhat a structure to his solos yeah now, often it will just be absolute nonsense, just full on. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what an interesting thing is. So 
on this album i can't remember the, it might be soldier i can't remember the song specifically. one of the songs with malmstein singing might be i think it is there's a point where he goes into pentatonic and okay. blues and i'm like oh like it really perked up and i was like oh right but because you're so used to that constant shredding mm. in harmonic minor with the diminished arpeggio runs and stuff like that it, it hit me harder than anything else i was like oh there's a blues note that, by oh. him playing less it actually gave you more of a yeah. kind of emotion he, reaction he's, he's got feel he he can play with feel like he has it yeah but he just doesn't he chooses not to the structure usually follows as like a really quick shreddy bit maybe like half a bar and then he'll overbend a note or he'll give it too much um mm -hmm. vibrato there's like a and he always goes for the same bloody note every time <laughs> obviously in different keys I'm, I'm i'm speaking formulaically i'm not speaking exactly the same pitch yeah but he always goes for the same note in in the sequence and it's so obvious and then you've got the but like, de -do -de -do -de -do -de -do, yeah, but really quick. And then is that goes, like the pedal tone thing? Yeah. He he like plays one note that's the same, and he'll play another note like an alternating the, note. Yeah, runs down the scale. Yeah. yeah, he does that a lot. He also has um, oh, what is it? Bumblebee kind of thing. Yeah, that is, it's like the same three notes again. In fact, there's a section in Vengeance where he plays these three notes and that was released in like 1995 yeah he was using the exact same three notes in this album released in 2016 and i was like dude you're kind of summing oh, up really man. like, like I, I think i think he so like to kind of defend this album or defend ingve as an artist okay if he's past his prime like oh i will be defending it I'm, I'm everyone just... has to be like you, you can't always be on top forever no you can um that is a simple fact but i think that ingve is more talented than he is on his albums yes. i think that he's just he loves that sound he loves classical music yes, so he much he does love that, that that's what he just wants to do he just wants to do that all the time all the way through he knows exactly what works he doesn't mind okay i'll play this lick for 25 yes. years yes i'll play this i'll play that again we just listened to the new metallica song and underwhelming it was underwhelming it'll probably get better for me but like again kirk hammett solos i know that kirk hammett is better than the solos that he does on record because oh, for sure. he has to do what's good for the band yeah i mean that is definitely something to consider if if you're ingve and your albums are selling mm -hmm. are you going to put much effort into writing and producing there's no pressure there, just, is there? yeah just because they're selling also mm -hmm. you own the label that you put in Yep. music out on so it's and not, people it's are still coming refused. to see you yeah. exactly it's not gonna get refused people worship you like a god so why why worry about it i mean i'm I'm gonna defend this album now let's defend it i enjoyed the album structurally where the songs are placed i like it yeah because you've got like i think it's two or three really fast like and then there's a bit of singing and then you've got an acoustic tune then you've got a few more songs then you've got another acoustic instrumental that morphs and changes yep. and i like that because it's spaced out there is a break in it you know what i mean it has a pacing yes it's not just here's a load of songs slapped together no it's 45 minutes so in terms of albums it's not really that long didn't feel that long either no no i've listened to it 
twice or three three times. Thricely. And I picked something new out of it every single time. I was mm-hmm. able to hear something new. It's it's not this is the thing, it's not objectively a bad album. I could understand why people won't flock to it, but it's not a bad album. His playing's not dreadful. There are a few points where he's out of time. There are a few points where he's picked the same notes, where the lyrics are a little bit un uninspired, but holy, it's it's all right, it's good. If your if my introduction to Ingve Malmsteen was that album, I wouldn't I wouldn't never listen to him again. <laughs> That's what I feel about that. Yeah, there we go. You make a point, though, and <clears throat> I think I can uh, fluctuate this point. Fluctuate? What's the thing? Execute this point. Elaborate. Elaborate. If your first foray, which for me, that was my first ever time listening to a full album of Ingve Malmsteen, now chatting to you and being like, right, this is Ingve past his prime. I know exactly what I'm getting with Ingve. If all of his albums are basically shredding instrumentals, yeah. some of them have lyrics. Yeah. Um, and also, as a side note, I think him playing acoustic suits him way better oh, than me. Definitely. I want to hear more of that. Definitely. So to now know that I'm like, right, oh, there's a more refined, there's a more peak version. Yeah. And I mean peak in like the top sense of Ingve that I can go and listen yeah. to. Yeah. It's like what I said earlier about if you put an expectation on an artist, then he kind of ultimately doesn't live up to it. Now I know that I can go back and listen to Vengeance. And what was his first album called? Uh, Rise and Force. Right? I can go listen to Rise and Force and be like, wow, this is great. Yeah. Because those crazy arpeggios are going to be in time. Yes. And it's just, it's going to be, it's going to surpass my expectation of what I think Ingve should be because yeah. I've heard him not at his prime. This, so really, yeah. it kind of yeah. works. It works in his favor. I, I yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like I have to agree on that. Um, like I said, it, the the live shows I I didn't analyze as closely mm-hmm. as I did the album. Um, however, there are quite a few bits live where he's trying to play certain bits, and he maybe isn't as quick as he used to be, or whatever. But yeah, it's not dreadful. I don't I don't have that much of an issue with it. Yeah. And yeah, I suppose it's important to keep in mind, isn't it? Judge being judgmental and stuff. I've definitely heard worse music definitely heard worse music but do you mean worse like shred music or worse music in the same vein as like neoclassical guitar or? i mean i i mean i don't know a whole lot of neoclassical shred guitarists he's the only guy i know maybe the closest, closest thing i can relate to this is paca de lucia paca de lucia oh what absolute beast different league different league entirely but um are you saying uh, maybe his peers people of the same age like he's similar ages like the metallica lot came out around that time well, yeah um, all the all the shred lot uh fresh lot like there are like we said like with the dave mustaine of megadeth thing okay the the songs are tuned down a lot and there's that claim by is it like one of the early megadeth guitar players or like some of oh, like that yeah. where like oh he can't even play the early stuff anymore whereas Ingve, he can still play it yeah it's just okay me. maybe he's like uh a bit fast before the click or before the drums and it's like noticeably a little bit out of time but like he's still playing as fast as he was on record this is kind of the thing isn't it i mean i had this conversation with somebody the other day um they were just kind of like have you heard the new metallica song yet and i went no i heard i've heard a clip and it's just like it seems quite slow and quite ploddy Mm -hmm. and uh their response was sort of like 
yeah, they're rubbish now, aren't they, really? And I said, well, they're not rubbish. I mean, if I hit my 60s and I could still play Master at that speed, you know what I mean? I'd be, I'd be all right with that at that point. I can't even play Master at, like, three-quarter speed. Tell me about it. And I'm a third of their age, really. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's... Um, I think you've got to take the rough with the smooth very much, haven't you? Exactly. Here's a question I would ask you then. When do you think Ingve will, be able, will get to a point where he can't play that? I've prob- You've probably asked me that. I can't remember if we did it, but, like... Do you think in the next 10 years, you're going to hear an Yngwie album be like, oh, wow, this is like, this is really, really comped together. I can, so, I can tell that he can't play it fast anymore. He is currently 59. 59, yep. I mean, is he, he has got good technique, like in terms of picking and stuff like that. I, I honestly don't know. There's no reason why he can't play like that till his 80s, until his eight, like 85. Yeah, but you've got things like, like arthritis, haven't you, that could take hold. Um, True. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. Go listen to that album. Go yes. listen to Vengeance. Uh, you know, do whatever you got to do. Get your near shred on. And then, you know, that's all good. Shall I do my album then? Let's go. I like that. Right. So the album I've picked is Witness by Katy Perry. I wanted to go a bit pop because I thought, you know, pop music seems to be the thing for me where you can see someone's past their prime. Um, yeah. Definitely in terms of like, okay. There you Sorry. go. My cough's matching on to you. No. You know, if you're a little teeny bopper and you've got to kind of like get into your 20s, what do you do? How do you change your image? And then that can always be like a misstep. Uh, or if you've, you know, 20 years down the line, I look at someone like Britney Spears. Yes. Her mid noughties work apparently is very very good i believe it and now that you know she's in at least her late 30s maybe probably even 40s now she's definitely past her prime i'd say so like her early work's way more celebrated yeah in terms of vocals and just in terms of everything song aesthetic who she is as a person she's just grown up so sometimes you might have to just go like i'm gonna exit this pop world yeah this is something else it's it's like with bieber bieber did it didn't he Mm -hmm. He, it, it was very sort of washed down candy flossy very very teeny boppy very love songs yeah but but now i think as we've discussed before he seems to do something and everyone lashes onto it and goes oh we gotta do that now but he's very much a trend setting and excellent as well excellent i love peaches love it so much very good song um stay i adore that song again you know what's good what's interesting here is is that Bieber's next album might be the tipping point for seeing if he passes prime yeah quite possibly he's gonna be nearly 30 I also loved um, Cold Water, which was a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? Yeah. That was, that was like six years ago. Yeah, that was a while ago, but it was like a transitioning point, wasn't it? Because very, very. You, you obviously think of Baby and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But now it's it's very mature. So it's like people like Britney Spears now, they're probably going to have to go, right, I need to reinvent myself. Yes. I need, to, I need to find a different way of doing stuff and not do it the way... <laughs> your pick the Katie Perry's decided to kind of do oh, it dear. Um, you know that'll be another future episode of when we'll bands eventually. reunite yeah Um, and take that will not be on that list because <laughs> take that did it wonderfully yeah Um, but anyway let's talk about Katie Perry in 2013 shall we so she was a mega star at this point 2013 oh, yeah. her albums were selling like nobody's business Um, she was the pop star of the moment like her songs were just everywhere. Her look was iconic. Like she was the zeitgeist for pop music. Was this Katie before Perry. she started doing adverts for Just Eat? This is way before. 
because I feel like because now that's her contribution. Wait, right? I was gonna say weirdly enough, I feel like there's gonna be a generation eventually where it's gonna be like, is that the oh Katy Perry, what the singer for Just Eat? Yeah, or like it's some like like oh the woman on the Just Eat advert, she was a pop singer. Same with like Snoop Dogg. Yeah, but like that's but he is known for yeah what he yeah what that's he what it is known for yeah carry on sorry um it's, it's, this is all part of it you know I say part something of, you say something part of the combo all part of the combo but. So since returning to music and releasing one of the boys in 2008, she's had nothing but a rise in her career. Now, when I say since returning to music, yes, she did release an album under her own name, Katie Hudson, uh, in 2001 as a teenager. Yes, it was yes, Christian music. Yes. It did not sell very well. And she kind of spent seven years just bopping along, bobbing and weaving through life. So that's better. So, yes, 2013. She's killing it. She's got raw. She's got uh there's another Firework. song. Firework was the one beforehand. Okay. She had another song that was along the, with Raw. Oh, Dark Horse. Dark Horse. So she took a break um after releasing Prism, the 2013 album, which I said has Raw, Dark Horse on it. Yes. She wanted to get her mental health in a better shape. Fair enough. Respect that, yeah. She also decided to cut her hair and go by a real name, um, which is Catherine Hudson. How interesting. Now I didn't hear that. Again, I wasn't a Katy Perry fan. I'm not a Katy Perry fan. I remember all of these kind of, you know, kicking off and whatnot. But anyway, so she was trying to separate herself from the Katy Perry that she was involved in, like the celebrity persona. So like, as you know, you got with the David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust thing. There's this thing where, where the, where does the line of David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust like start and end? What happened was he kind of just became Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. He made, invented this character to kind of separate himself from the stardom, but like really he was just, he was that rock star. So yeah. she kind of was doing the same thing. Um, she had a natural blonde hair. She cut it into like a pixie kind of cut. So like she is naturally blonde, which I didn't realize. Um, so what we're seeing now is this true authentic self of Katy Perry or like as true as an authentic self as she can be because you've got all the weirdos in the world that, you know, you can't literally be your true self as a mega pop star, can you? Um, if you've ever watched the catfish, that catfish episode of the guy and they said catfish then, don't I? Catfish. Yeah, you definitely did. Catfish episode yep. where this guy's convinced that Katy Perry's speaking to him. And even after oh, they yeah. say, look, it's not. Here is the person you've been speaking to. And then the next day he's like, yeah, it's weird because like, I think Katy Perry sent her down to like kind of oh, distract her. It is delusion. Yeah. So you don't want to be, your, your, you know, your true self. Um, She also decided not to collaborate with um Dr. Luke anymore, who's a songwriter and producer. Um, Obviously, around this time, I'd say 2011 to about 20. Well, it started 2011. So um, there was a court case he was having with Kesha, um, you know, and that's regarded, you know, SA and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, very adult nature. So you obviously do not want to be, do not want to be associated not with something really. like that. No. Katy Perry was also kind of um, mentioned by name in this court case as well, because Kesha was a legend at Katy Perry and Dr. Luke. Something happened there. Um which I think got proven to be false, but I actually don't know. Again, no. this episode's not about that. So Witness gets released on June 9th, 2017. This is a brand new Katy Perry record. And on the day of its release, she does, Catherine, by the way, not Katie, she does a four-day YouTube live stream. Four days straight. Four-day YouTube live stream, essentially doing Big Brother. So 
Right. But people like allowed in that. So for anyone who doesn't know what Big Brother is, it was a TV show. Uh, I seen it in the UK in what, 99, 2000? It was on Channel 5. All these random people get chucked into a house. They can't go outside. They don't know anything about the world around them. And they just have to interact. And the first winner was a guy called Craig and he was a builder. Yes. I think he won 70 grand and he donated it to some sick, ill um, girl. And then he uh, decided to go on DIY SOS. He did. Fair enough. Because Mags, my mum, <laughs> Margaret Mags. Well, my mum, Margaret Mags. She's got as many monikers as Ingve. Nearly, nearly. Um, she always used to watch DIY SOS and get excited and used to call him Cutie Craig. Oh, Cutie Craig. If we can get Cutie Craig and Mags together. She's with she's with Dicky. He's with Dickie. I'm not hey, I'm not saying that your mum should run away with Craig from DIY SOS and Big Brother Fame. <laughs> first, I'm just saying first winner of Big Brother. Yeah. I'm just saying maybe you go on cameo.com and you find and see if he has Beauty a little Craig. thing. Beauty Craig. Yeah. And you go, right, here's a little message to Max. Say that to her. And then let Rich give her the message. Um so yeah, she basically did a Big Brother for four days. Um, and we get to see her being her true self, you know. That's interesting, yeah. You know, look, she does everything we do. She eats food and she, you know, had, had people over for dinner and stuff and walking her dog and, wow, she's just so like her. She's like so like us. Um, you know, she just decided to film it. Whereas we don't do that. Imagine, I mean, would you want to watch a four-day live stream of me just in this house? Not really. Don't take that to heart. I don't take that to heart but because literally me. I'd be sat here banging on a pad, <laughs> making music, going to the bathroom, coming back, coming back with pancakes, and that'd be it. Yeah. You don't want that. Not you really, really, really don't want that. Not really. Um, but I'd watch you for four days. Would so. you? Depends what room. Could I stick it to one room? I'd want to stick it to the living room purely because... You take your girlfriend and your mum to work like early. And if you're a musician, early is like 11 a.m. Yeah. But you take them for 9 a.m. So you're getting up early, right? I am. I'd like to see you come back, have some brekkie, have a cup of coffee, get on the sofa, and then just fall asleep because you must be so knackered. That is what happened today. You must be so knackered. Um, I don't know if Katy Perry fell asleep, you know. She probably went to sleep, but who she knows? Probably slept in four days. Obviously. And she also had like a therapy session, I think, during this time, and uh, she talked about like suicidal thoughts and like um, not her approach to alcohol, like her her use of alcohol. I don't think she's an alcoholic, but like she abused it and things like that. And yeah. there was a legitimacy issue of like, you know, is she actually being really authentic or is this kind of like a, just a a thing to promote the album yeah yeah because the album was kind of like promoted to be like she's being mature this is what she's really wanted to write and you're kind of getting an inner glimpse of katie perry yeah i don't know that because i've never listened to another katie perry album all the way through but fair enough this is if this is what she sounds like being herself then that's all i can take it as yeah um it's a very unique thing to do promote an album i've never heard anyone else go right i'm gonna do four day live stream on the day my album comes out to sync up no. with who I am as a real person because you don't know me. No, it is it is quite a, an interesting way of doing it. It is. But the thing that I would say is, would she do this if she didn't have an album to promote? Probably not. So does that then throw into question, like, is she doing it for the legitimate reasons? Does she really want you to know who she is? Could she do it without an album release? 
I mean, maybe. I don't know, to be to be completely honest with you. And how much did it cost? A lot. That's what I mean. It's just like it it can it's this weird line of like, okay, yeah. you 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 do want to know like the inner workings of like your favorite musicians and stuff. It is very cool when you find this thing of like, oh, they like this, or like, wow, they're opening up about this. I didn't know this information before. But then they're just human beings. Some of their stuff are some of the things they do are just very boring. And yeah. I don't want to know the inner workings of some of my best friends. This is the thing, isn't it? You do have to you do have to weigh that up. I mean I've yeah. I've often said I'm not overly interested in fame. I do think there would be a lot of aspects of it that would be very fun. Of course. But going to the shop to get something and it's like, he's, he's buying a loaf of Hovis. Oh my. Oh, oh my. I'd find that incredibly weird. James Merritt in multi-seed shock. <laughs> James Merritt buys 18,000 for very But like that still items. happens now. It, it still happens it now. That's, that's, that's mainly because the media is still very much a, a large weird yeah place and social media i mean it picks it up further doesn't it does so like this is the album that we're going into of like okay we're gonna get we're gonna see the inner workings of Catherine. it's still labeled as katie perry because it has to sell there is a risk involved there that katie perry sings these very global and like i said about oasis global songs that like are not necessarily about her but like uh, like fans can latch on to and you can say this is about me this is the same struggle i have what you're doing now is you're going i the artist am going through this i hope that you're going through it too because you can connect um and if the music doesn't necessarily back it up it can be quite hard to then get that across because you can have a good lyric but if the music's crap i just don't care this is kind of the issue isn't it i mean connection with music's always been a subjective thing there's always been disagreements and discussions everywhere you go with it but because it's such a personal experience mm-hmm. you're always going to find something different that's why a good song most people can find something different in the lyrics literally when you listen when 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 like you listen to um like weezer for the first time oh yeah and um you were you were getting you were getting the sort of evoking feelings rivers was and how he was feeling it was getting across to you someone probably listened to that and got something entirely different from it i mean yeah and now his latest single is called i want a dog maybe he does maybe he does maybe you should go and get one rivers if you want a dog i'll help your son i'll pick you up i can sum this album up in three styles edm yeah 90s dance yeah ballads yeah and the album can also be summed up with one word i've chosen insula I would have gone with forgettable, but insular is just as good. There we go. That's the harsher way of it. Yeah. So essentially, the majority of the musical side of it seems to have an intentional desire to not be bright or bombastic, Yes. but rather say subdued, minimalistic, and to not jump out at you. So like, rather it tries to make you like lean into the track and get absorbed into like the cloud it creates rather than like, here's the track, start dancing, start doing this. It's more like scratch your chin. Yeah, um, kind of get that. Like it to me, it, it sounds like the life of Pablo by Kanye West. If you've heard yeah. the production on that, uh, yes, very minimalistic drums. Um, we're going to talk about the snare drum in a minute, but like <laughs> that's what I got. Do you kind of get that same vibe? Yeah, the, the way the way I would have described it is very sort of, you know, when there's like a BBC drama, yeah, where someone walks into a club and there's like loads of things going on with like drugs around my drink and or like people are like slowly that. I can hear that music on in the background. Okay. It's, it's very much, um, it's not the point of interest. It's just adding an ambiance, an ambiance to the 
to the surroundings. It's not I like the subject. that. It's being a background player in an otherwise album, which is like this is meant to be like the center yeah. stage. Yeah, that's that's how I'd play. I like that. Um. So yeah, um, the song "Hey Hey Hey" has a very cringy bit in it. Yeah, where she goes, "I fucking love it." Like the use of swearing to try and make her mature, because again, she is going into her, um, she's going past her mid thirties. I think she's 36 at this point. No, 33. Sorry. So to go into your twenties, into your thirties, you have to kind of, it has to be a different setup or game plan versus Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus going in from their teenage years into their early twenties, because you either get sexualized or you pretend to beat up someone or go to threaten to beat up someone, your security guard conveniently is holding you back. Funny. So you kind of have to go a different way. Um, so like her use of swearing, because, you know, now she's not necessarily aimed at kids with firework or raw. She's going, I fucking love it in a kind of sexy way, like in that kind of sexualized way. But like, it just made me cringe. It really made me cringe. It is a bit cringy. Yeah, we'll give you that. Um, there's a song called Roulette. There's, there's songs called Roulette tsunami and then there's another one as well that has like a random um like word that's used as like a metaphor pendulum Mm -hmm. so they're all meant to be metaphorical and stuff like that um classic pop things but roulette the first two songs are very edm and then this one's so 90s dance um if i asked you this is the third track by the way if i asked you to do a 90s synth and a 90s drum dance beat that would be the two things you'd pick in the song roulette like it's just so much like yeah. that it really doesn't fit in stylistically no it really jumps out of you in, in not a great way it sounds more like a lady gaga song yes um i'm gonna assume that she's not really explored this kind of style in her previous work um swish swish with Nicki minaj yeah um actually sounds like it's very very 90s it actually sounds like uh the beyonce album renaissance that she's just released 2022 last year i couldn't tell you because i've not given that album well you know listen you know break my soul know right you know cuff it like Very that sound of, yeah so maybe katie perry's ahead of her time maybe because i feel like the 90s stuff has only really started to be like relevant in yeah. terms of 90s dance what after pen- pandemic so this is the thing it's very much come back into into like uh fashion it's very much a new mm-hmm. a new thing to be and i mean kids are dressing there's a lot of 90s fashion about again there is it's um it happens yeah it's coming back it goes so, in I cycles mean, doesn't it maybe maybe you, you you could be right there katie's sort of okay Catherine. actually Catherine hudderson get her name get her name right get her name right now. um the song deja vu now this really sums up the main problem of the album like we kind of touched on yeah it just sounds so insular and introspective in the musical side of it the snare drum's very varied yeah and doesn't provide the snap and backbeat that you that gets you dancing. Um, it's like she wants you to dance, but not as the person in the middle of the dance floor. It's more aimed at the people sat down in the chairs. So like you said, in the background of like a drama, yeah. of like a BBC thing, yeah. like very, very true. There's no dazzling synths. Nope. There's no bright sounding guitar to widen your eyes. Um, it's almost like they recorded it and then took off all that stuff. There it gives there, there's a lo-fi feel to it that's what i mean like, the, like a high pass filter yeah yeah and that's i mean you you'd think on paper that would be cool and i mean I, I, again i didn't listen to it and go oh i hate this i just it didn't uh strike me i feel like it's very much one of those albums that you're gonna have to listen to quite a few times before you actually appreciate 
you start getting the earworms yeah. kind of lifted out the ground. Yeah. Um, no, I don't hate it. I, I haven't got a huge amount against it, but that is how I, it's very sort of pop, um, not pop, it's very sort of EDM lo-fi. It is, but it has formulaic um, pop structures yeah. in it, which I think hamper the album, they hamper the songs yeah. because they really should kind of mutate and grow like, um, like jungle and house music. Like yeah. where you just kind of let things merge into one another. Otherwise it will just sit in the background. Yeah. Which is what Renaissance by Beyonce does well as a mixtape, but this doesn't because they have to have, you know, 16 bar verse, single chorus, 16 bar verse, double chorus, bridge, yeah, quiet third chorus, but then there's another double chorus. And like all of these songs hit that same problem. Yeah. Doesn't really help. Um, the song power seems to not know what it wants to be. Um, it's almost like it's a pop song and an EDM song and then a 90s dance song. It's got these like samples in it and it's got the, if you can remember, it's the one with the drum feel. It's like, and it goes on for ages. Yeah. And it just feels so remember. out of place. Yeah. Yeah. It's really jarring. But I like what it's trying to do, but it's almost like it, it goes suddenly goes to swing and then it's got 16th notes in it and it's got like every single rhythm. It's like, like the problem I used to have where I was like, I need to put every single like chord that's like really good and all these ideas into one song. Yeah. It's like, you need to think about it across all uh, like loads of songs. It needs to fit into the song you're doing. And this is the problem. It starts with a sample as well. And like, it just has everything in it. Yeah. Um, but again, that like high pass filter sound and everything. Um, the chorus melody is the thing that saves it. And there's the bridge is solid. So I'm actually gonna talk about chords now. Here we go. Here we go. So it goes B flat minor, C minor, F minor. And then it goes B flat minor, C minor to F major. Now it's in the key of F minor. So it's cool that it goes to like a major resolve for its home chord. Definitely. Like it just really, it was the first time really that my brain went, wow, there's something to latch onto here. And then it just goes upwards. It goes B flat minor, C minor, D flat, E flat to like step up. Um, and provide you with so this is in the bridge as well so like that classic thing of having a quiet third chorus yes but like you know you're just repeating the same section but because it's quiet it, it then kicks different. in yeah. that was the only time really especially at this point in the album that you have that bright dazzling display where it works power seems to work yes it's just too much rhythm too much loads of stuff being chucked at it but they kind of, and also I'm going to deduct it at minus a million points because the sample has saxophone in it. I knew. I, knew I can't that. have that. Yeah. Uh, miss you more. Like instead of having a snare drum, it has finger clicks. Maybe have finger clicks and a snare. Yeah. Don't replace your snare drum, which is really the heartbeat of your song with, with that. Unless it's, yeah, I mean, there's got to be some sort of integral reason, hasn't there, for it to, to be like that. Yeah, and at this moment, we're past the halfway mark of the album, and I've had one single, Swish Swish. Check to the rhythm. Great tune. Let's talk about it. Great tune. Well, the fact is, is that we learned that two weeks after it came out as a single. Yes. Along with Shape of You. Yes. Now, when did we stop playing Chain to the Rhythm? I'd say probably a month or two after it was released. When did we stop playing Shape of You? We still sometimes, we still sometimes have to play it. Very sadly. Yeah. Have to play it. This is kind of the point. It died. It died. It I mean, did. There's, there's going to be people that remember it. We've seen a just... noticeable drop off of people not knowing what the song was. So we went, yeah. we're not going to do it. Yeah, we can't but then you it. start playing, ding, 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 and everyone loses their mind. But this is kind of the point, isn't it? That song clearly didn't stand the test of time. But... 
it annoys me because it's still a very, very good pop song. It's not indicative of the album at all. It sticks out. Yes. Swish Swish does kind of fit the album because it's 90s dance, but this isn't 90s dance. The way I'd place that, and of course I'm going to say this, is um, Hot Space with Under Pressure. Yes. Because it's very much not not of the same ilk. I agree. And that's Um, right at the end. Yep. Imagine if that was track two. But then you get you get into that thing about okay if it's at the end it removes itself from the album yeah, so then you like entity. it more. Yeah. I wonder if I said that on the when we did the episode Possibly. of Hot Space. Possibly. Remember, yeah. this album is meant to represent her more mature side and like more of a glimpse into her as a person. Think about the promotional and release of all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. A four day live stream. She's doing therapy sessions. She's like, it's meant to be a bit more political and stuff. But like, I don't really care about the whole political thing again it just harks back to um she's how rich oh she's richie rich rich and she's talking to me about her worldview i hey i'm sorry i don't care yeah i can't relate yeah i don't care it's not not uh not my shift really it is not my shift we're going to talk about the song tsunami i actually quite like the song tsunami the baseline that's because you didn't get to it Ah, this is the, this is the ha- second yeah, half of the it, album. So here we go. Then here we go. The bass line's very busy. It can be a bit distracting, but it does work well. Um, there's a harmony that's almost exactly the same as "Calling All My Lovelies" by Bruno Mars. Like the rhythm of her melody, it's exactly the same. Okay. Um, it came out in the same year as well, 2017. And there's a very cool chord in the post-chorus. So it's in the key of C minor. Yeah. Um, you have A flat, C minor, B flat. And then you get a B in the root of the chord. So it's the it's like the closest note that you can get to the home chord, which usually you might hear in jazz and metal. Um, you you hear it all winning Ve Malmstein stuff, the harmonic minor, like that kind of thing of it. But like it's the same thing that happens in Baby One More Time. So like the chord that when I figured out on the guitar, it was a G over B. Okay. So to have that in the key of C minor, yeah. Like to me, it was the most dissonant you could get to. Yeah. Having all the half steps and, you know, that that amount of tension, the biggest amount of tension that they could make was putting a G over B in this in this song. Yeah. Um, I tried like diminish. I tried everything else, but like it was very cool. But again, what makes it even more tense is that you don't have like a piano or a guitar playing that chord. A lot like, like with a lot of these songs on the on Witness, it's just pads and it's just sparkly stuff. Yeah. So your brain isn't hearing like a triad or these notes that are picking no, out no clarity, you're hearing yeah. this synth playing a b why over like almost like an ambience and it's so like it pulls your ear and i loved it <coughs> i did I'd, I'd even suggest that, that there are points in this album's experimental in what it what it does and what it achieves for Katy perry yeah and what she's done Real sort of interesting stuff that goes mm-hmm. on yeah, you've got the song bon appetit which again was a single uh featuring migos and the weird thing about this song is it, it just sounds like Katy Perry's doing like a guest vocal or a guest chorus for three verses. Wow. And then Migos comes in. It's like, oh, it sounds like a Migos song. Um, okay. It's quite bright. Like it is quite, it is a very good song. Yeah. It's like the second chorus slaps Like the second chorus, like really is bright and like very frantic. Um, and it's dazzling. That's what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Rather than this whole analogy of like dancing in the corner. Yeah. Um, this is center stage dance floor, kind of like yeah. I am here, listen yeah. to me roar. Yeah. Um, and then you get a song called Bigger Than Me, 
This is where you actually hear a lull in the album. Now, I thought the album was kind of plodding along, but you hear an actual album track and you're like, oh my God, it's taken a huge dip. Right. When you get like bottom ended albums where you're like, yeah, I don't need more tracks to go. But like the fact that Bon Appetit gave us such a flash in the pan so late in the album, yeah. but then you got to sit through this album track. Oh, I just didn't, it wouldn't stand the chance. I can't remember how it goes. It's just very, very dull. Um, there's a song called Saber's Draft, which is very ballady. Um, it's got no energy to it. It's yeah. so mid-tempo. It should be the last track, but it's not. The song Into Me, which is the last song. Um, the only thing I like about it is it is literally a ballad. It's piano-led. Um, it's in the key of C, which is the most ballad key. Classic. And also doesn't help with like sounding dull and sounding like cliched. No. Um, it does a cool thing where it does like secondary dominance and it flirts with the Mixolydian key. All right. Very classic. Do you like that? I do like that. Very classic sort of songwriter. It just, the album ends with a whimper and it's so long. It feels so long. Um, but this whole album does feel like a woman in her 30s, knowing that she can't make teeny bop style music. Yeah. She can't really repeat the themes that she's done before. So there is a feeling of maturity. Um, and my statement kind of rings true. So Saver's Draft got released as a single, but only in the adult contemporary charts. And it only got as high as 14 interesting um so who knew that releasing songs in the adult contemporary section when transitioning from your 20s to your 30s like i said earlier is the same marketing movers justin bieber uh throwing eggs at a house yeah. and getting arrested for a little bit yeah. of weed you know what i mean yeah um the main issue i have of this is that the majority of the songs try to sound like singles whether they want to or not but it's just so dull yeah because they're stuck on that pop structure so really the album is a slog to get through and my only recollection of this album, well, not recollection, but going into it was like, change to the rhythm. When Swish Swish came on, I was like, oh, yeah. I remember this. Yeah. I remember this. Did that as well. Like a forgotten gem. Yeah. So why do I think this album is Katy Perry past her prime? So I'm viewing it more like I'm trying to find the tipping point here of like, this is the album that she's past her prime. Yeah. So again, there's no indication for Katy Perry and her fans to know that this could be the tipping point. <laughs> You just come off of a very big selling album that has your signature songs on it still to this day. Like Raw is her signature song. Yeah. You know what I mean? A big one. You're one of the highest grossing artists and one of the biggest selling female artists. Now, going back to what we talked about earlier with the quadrants, um, which were commercially, critically, songs played on subsequent tours, following albums performance and singles mentioned in casual conversation. If I was to ask you, name me three Katy Perry songs now. Firework, roar, change to the rhythm. There you go. We only now we only say change to the rhythm because we played it, and because I sometimes forget about I'll, hot and cold. I'll name you another. Go on, California girls. There you go. I feel like most people. I kissed a girl. Yeah, most people would not say anything to do with this album. Probably not. Which no. to me is an indication of like that so shows you a bit like, So change to the rhythm is a banger commercially. As of 2023, this sold 900,000 copies worldwide. Do you know how many uh, copies a previous album, Prism, sold? More than double. Four million. Yeah. So commercially, okay. But again, you've got to think about who buys albums and how how albums yeah. do these days in this in this climate. Yeah. Um, it still debuted at the top of the Billboard chart, along with topping charts in several countries, and at least being in the top five as well. Yeah. It soon started dipping. I think it dropped to number 13 the week after it topped it. 
in the US. Yeah. Um, it had the highest opening in the US for a female since Joanne by Lady Gaga right. and became the second album by a female artist from 2017 to open at the top of a chart. So it still did well and hit accolades. Yeah. But I think we need to look at it from a singles perspective because this is really the first time that she struggled to bag a number one hit from an album. Yeah. That to me is the biggest nail in the coffin of this is her past her prime or the start of it. So on the Billboard Hot 100, only Chain to the Rhythm got in the top 10. Yeah. Bon Appetit got to 59 and Swish Swish got into 46. Right. Now, Katy Perry, again, like I said, as of 2017, before she released that album, she was still like absolutely huge, right? One of the biggest pop stars of our generation. Yeah, the album that she then releases, which again, when you just released it, you can't say it's past their prime. You're going to buy everything up. Yeah. It only got to top 10 and then 59 and then 46. That's mad. The lowest she had charted before this was a song called Thinking of You. It got as high as 29, but that was the third single from her first album. The first two singles were I Kissed a Girl and Hot and Cold, which got to number one, number three. Yeah. And also got to number one in many countries. So yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Um, and since the singles have witnessed, the highest she's ever charted is 15 after that. Why? So like it really did show a bit of a dip. Really did hit. Yeah. So to me, like yeah. that would be the thing I'd go, that is past that that shows past their prime, That's right? A nice edge, yeah. Um yeah. critically it got mixed reviews. It ranged from kind of like praising the maturity of it, um, but also got criticized for all sounding the same and being lifeless. I can agree with that. It does sound very lifeless, this record. Yeah. I think, like you said, it needs repeated listens, but it's a pop album. And I don't feel like I don't want that from a pop album of someone like Katy Perry. I want it to be uh, very, not throwaway, but like digestible in one go. I want to know exactly what the album is like and what it's telling me yeah. in one listen. Yeah. Much like Ingve. That's a positive of Ingve. You know exactly what you're getting. Oh, yeah. That's you, don't no, have to, you don't have to scratch it. There's your no head. ambiguity, is there? Did I look up songs plays on subsequent tours? No, I didn't. So screw yourself on that. But I would say that I don't think she plays. She probably plays the hits. I would assume so. I'm going to assume that. A big if, assume. If if I... She probably just play Chained to the Rhythm. All the time. I reckon that's the only one she plays. Probably. If I was going to go and see Katy Perry, I know what I would expect. Yep. And it wouldn't be anything off that album unless it was Chained to the Rhythm. The following album's performance, which I can't remember the name of, um... It didn't. It, it tanked even more. Why? Not not as much. So she's she is on a on a decline there. Yeah. Um. And like we said, singles mentions in casual conversation. I would think I would bet. You ask anybody, name me three Katy Perry songs. They're not going to say "Change to the Rhythm." It just gets forgotten. Yeah. We only know it because we learned it. Yeah. I think we also have to point out. And this is another reason why I think even she knew she was past her prime. Um, the same year that that album came out. She took a $25 million salary to be a judge on American Idol. Now, mm. do you think people that are in the prime of their musical career become a judge on a musical talent show? No. I think it speaks for itself, don't yeah, you? Absolutely. If I, yeah. I mean, to be fair, even, even if I was doing in, insatiably well, if someone offered me that number... Yeah, but it, it would take a lot for me to say. But think yeah. about it. your Katy Perry. She was like, I can't remember what year. It was probably around the time this album came out. She was the biggest selling, like yeah. touring artist of that year. Very true. You've sold so so much. Why do you need twenty five million to do to like be a musical panelist? Yeah, very true. 
But it's not always about need, is it? I mean, you of want course. To, you want to protect your interests as much as you can because oh, things can go wrong. Million, yeah, but 25 million. 25 man. million. That's a lot of money. So how do we defend this album, Mez? I like it. I think it's, well, I say I like it. I couldn't even get through it. What I did here, like I said, there were there were points where I was like, okay, this is interesting. There are interesting points in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is more experimental than I've given it credit for in my listening time. And into my knowledge, only knowing that album, I don't think any of her previous albums have, have sounded like that. I, I would assume not. Yeah. Very much so. But I I certainly think it's yeah, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard. It's really not. It's like I almost wanted a little bit more from it because it was trying to be something a bit more yeah. than it was. It there's a it, it can't decide what it is. Yeah. Certainly not. But it's it's not crap. It's not bad. Chains of the Ruins a banger. And like I said, it's very backgroundy. It's very sort of It is. Yeah. Very sort of This is the question that I would ask. Does Katy Perry feel like she's achieved everything she wants in her musical career either now or at that point? Maybe. Because think of it this way, to go from 2008 until 2013, just five years, she had a massive amount of success, like out of the gate, number one hit single, yeah. becoming one of the biggest pop stars ever, only happens to a few. Yes. Um, the seven-year gap between her first album and her first major label album was longer than her fierce reign as a pop queen. Yeah. She's had number one hits and she's had the big grossing tours and she's experienced a thrill-wide of fame and pop stardom. She was like, she got married to Russell Brand and divorced. I forgot about that. So did I, yeah. Dated John Mayer for ages. She's now a mother with Orlando Bloom. Johnny Depp, Johnny, Johnny Depp. That's an extra quote. Um, Willy Wonka, Johnny Wanker. <laughs> she wanted to make a more introspective album that's more true to herself. And if it sold, it sold. She had the fan base. It was going to sell anyway. Okay. Yeah. It didn't sell as much as the albums before, but... um. Have I ever sold 900,000 copies of an album ever? That's always the way I look at it. I'm like, yeah. if I sold, sold 900,000 copies of an album, I'd mm -hmm. be absolutely trapped. And how ballsy is that to be like, I'm going to do an album that's probably a bit more introspective. I'll fire, regardless of the circumstance, I'm not going to collaborate with the person that I know I can make hit records with and just go right in the height of my fame and just go, Screw it. Let's it's, see what happens. It's very, uh, very bold. That's brave. Very bold. That's brave. But and I respect that. To to finish off what I'm going to say, she has the luxury to make music whenever she wants, and that's something a lot of people strive for. I yes. know I do. So to even have a year of what she experienced, let alone five years, and again, still successful album and still a successful tour. Yes. And didn't damage her reputation in the sense that like. It affected it, but it didn't damage it. No. But you did see a noticeable drop-off, I think, of every quadrant that we kind of talked about, like yes. commercially and critically, and even like songs. Because I think now that if you were going to make a Katy Perry, Katy Perry playlist for somebody, you'd have to put on the hits that are not from Witness. You'd have to go backwards from Witness. Yeah. So to me, that's my pick. and I'm sticking by that. But I still think it's an interesting listen it's just quite dull. You need to go into it being like, this is a passive album. It's not an active album. All right? Yes. I agree. And I want to hear a Katy Perry Ingve mashup. Imagine. Can you imagine? Imagine. That'd be smells. It'd be insane. That would be something. It'd be insane. So, yeah, that was the podcast. Yeah, that was the podcast. Um, 
you know, we'll we'll get a better schedule. Now I know that I've got this ADHD thing and this dyslexia thing, and you know, it's all my fault basically. Um, we'll figure something out, and we'll try and be a bit more consistent. And I'll leave you with a little joke. Go on then, leave me a little joke, please. I don't know what HD is, but my doctor says I have eighty of them. Good night, everybody.